Hello, R Sport community. It's good to be back. It's been a minute, but just like that, we're here for season two of Our Conversations. I'm Kit Harvey, and I'll be your guide. To kick off the new season, we've wrangled South London's own Timothy Glegg, shoemaker and R Sport FC utility. Tim and his partner Monica operate Two Five Footwear, making handmade shoes to order from scratch. We deep dive into what it's like running a small business in Melbourne and how Two Five's own blend of style and comfort came to be. We got a heart. We got the passion. We got the desire. Have we got the know-how? Mm. We we actually barely have the personnel at the moment. <laughs> the bodies are just <laughs> falling around us. Sky high. The MCLs, the ACLs, the no, I don't want to moz it, but there's a lot of injuries floating around, including yourself. Mm. What actually is wrong with your knee? It's a little bit of a vague one. I don't know. I've never been to the doctor. That's the problem. So I've had, I've, I've, I've had um, my knee's been um, on and off. I would say for the past seven, eight years, but I've never gone to see a doctor. But I, it, it's from when I played rugby. I was going to say it sounds like an old it's, rugby it's, injury. It's hey? Old rugby injury, and I went back and I played rugby. I think for a season maybe five years ago and it would like blow up every weekend so i was used to it blowing up and i'll just ice it and then stretch and then skip training and go to the training on thursday and then play again on a saturday so having an injured knee almost like altered your routine and having the injured knee was a routine in a way yeah, yeah. so i don't know i can't remember what life is without, without a dodgy knee so I'm just, that's fine. It's just black. It'll pass in a couple of weeks. Probably I should go to the doctor. But I'm used to the NHS. So I'm used to like eight hours at the hospital. And then they'll be like, there's nothing wrong with you. Go home. And then you have to go back again. Because I tore my ligaments in my wrist playing rugby. So my wrist was like not, couldn't move my wrist as hard as I try. Um, and I think I went to the doctors five times. And they just told me it was bruised. Until I finally went and they referred me to a specialist. And especially was like, oh, yeah, your wrist is fucked. Structural damage. Yeah. And they were like, you've torn the ligaments. I had to do it. What's the scan where you go in? Like the a full C- body, like the an MRI. MRI scan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they were like, oh, yeah, you've torn some of the ligaments that attach to the bone. I think your wrist is made up of like eight bones or something, eight small bones that go across. And they were like, we could operate, but it's more likely to do more damage operating because it's such a like fiddly process. They were like, you just have to like, do some physio and like strengthen the muscles around your wrist and in your forearm and your hand and stuff. And then I finally got to use my hand again. But that I think I went to the doctors eight times, oh, sorry, five times for that over about a four month, five month period. I feel like even our system isn't that sluggish. Yeah. I think, I think you could probably get away with a little knee scan. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's slow, slow, slow in the UK. A lot but- of people. With the wrist injury, was that at a stage when using your hands was important to you, like with manufacturing shoes or anything like that? Was it was it at all um, hampered by that injury? At that time, I was 22. So I think I was just working retail. I, had, I, I was just finished uni. I wasn't hand making shoes at that time. I was just working, finished studying. And then it was like, oh, I need a break. I need to just live my life. So that was just, yeah, just the beer. That was the problem. It was getting an extreme workout from the from bending the elbow yeah, at the bending weekend. Bending the elbow at the weekend, yeah. That was about it. Tim, we're super excited to have you in the R Conversations studio. We're back for season two. I might be a little bit rusty, so 
We very much appreciate your patience. A uh, little bit of setup time there. Anthony was shocking. He had no idea what he's doing. No, I'm kidding. Anthony's just- the worst ever. He's very disorganized. Uh, don't use our sport. They're tri- no, I'm joking. He's the best. He is the best. Um, great to be back in here. Great to be chatting about basically everything our sport related, even tangentially. Yes. You are very much related to R Sport as well. We were actually just discussing. You don't really have a position for R Sport FC. You definitely have a position on the pitch. We just don't know really what to call it. I uh, yeah, I play everywhere and anywhere. So utility. I don't yeah, a utility player. Um, I uh, yeah, I never had a position growing up. That was my problem. Uh, so I'd play like left back, centre mid, forward, goalkeeper, anywhere. But I, yeah, and I played football from. I think from nine years old to like every Sunday from nine till I was maybe 17. Is that just like a rite of passage in the UK? Like it's basically a, a lot of kids play soccer yeah. as if, you know, every, as kids yeah, in Melbourne much. play footy? Yeah, 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 right. It's passage. Everyone, everyone plays football. Uh, and yeah, I think you just you just play at school. PE was literally football. Like we didn't do anything else for PE. Unless it was raining, then it was indoor t- table tennis. So we... Mean, mean forehand and a mean right foot. Those many years of of soccer or football, as I probably should be calling it in this current company, it actually explains why you've got such magic feet. I, um, you'll probably be self-deprecating about it, but from the first time you filled in for us before you became a, a kind of rusted on part of the R Sport FC furniture, I noticed straight away that you kind of had this very soft touch with yeah, the yeah. with the football, like really great feet. Great dribble, great carry, but also like a tight pivot, like a really nice shot yeah, 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 and a yeah. firm pass. You were ticking all the boxes, many of which <laughs> I don't tick myself. So I was like, okay, well, we're actually pretty lucky to have this guy in the team. Yeah, I think that's just where I would go, we'd play. So we'd have, like, you don't really have them here. You have them a little bit with basketball, like the little basketball cages you have in the local park. But we'd just have like football cages. Like kind of like going down to the cricket nets? Yeah, 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 for exactly that. So we're just every weekend, I'll go Saturday, Sunday, all day, and we'll just play in the court. And you would just have to be good at, because it's very much similar to football, like close contact and passing around. And um, yeah, and we did that. And in the playground, we used to play, I don't, it's called Nutmeg Rush. Like everyone in the year would play pretty much. And like if there's only one football, then you've got about 150 guys chasing you. And just booting the ball about and trying to nutmeg someone. And if someone gets nutmeg, then the whole playground just <laughs> jumps on top of them and pummels them into the ground, to be honest. There's a lot to be so said you, for- I would get very good at running or very good at like not getting nutmegged. <laughs> or in my case, we used to play, it was actually extremely against the rules at school. We played British Bulldog, which was basically very hard tackling on a oval with no grass covering oh. that resulted in a hell of a lot of grazers. But gee, I, I don't think I ever got tackled on a footy field. Oh, My evasion yeah. skills were instantly a lot better than others. Yeah, Bulldog was shut down at our school very much. I remember a couple of times, but it was very much. Don't get me wrong. It was, it was fully shut down at our school, down. but uh, <laughs> it kind of, we found a way. You slip through the gap sometimes, some playtime to the teachers weren't there. We definitely found a way. I feel like some of those skills you do, you do learn sort of organically, incidentally, definitely um, de- definitely show through. They're almost forced to learn these skills. So, like, the, for you, the entire close, oh, kind yeah, of close yeah, yeah, combat yeah. style of, of football is really conducive to to having good feet at futsal. Yeah, for sure. Shame about your knee at the moment, though. Shame I can't play. <laughs> He's had a blowout, folks. 
yeah but it's been good fun and that was one of the things when i came to melbourne it's kind of like growing up playing sports playing like football playing um rugby uh union and stuff and basketball and badminton it was like i loved like sports and like recreational sports and like the community kind of brings so that was one thing i really when i came to melbourne trying to find and i found it quite difficult at first to be honest because the it's Melbourne seems a bit clicky sometimes, so it's kind of hard to navigate. Uh, but with a bit more of a deeper dive, and luckily for, uh, meeting Anthony and stuff, and then played that one game, and I, I just came back every week. It's a, what's your your you've we've got a common connection. Um, I guess you know Anthony. That was your into R Sport FC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was it initially through your your partner? Mon? Yeah, through Mon. Mon worked at Nikos, um, and Anthony was. Uh, Bit of a big shop barista there, apparently. So uh, <laughs> too big to last. <laughs> too good to last. Uh, uh, so yeah, we met through the uh, the the I think the the legendary place of Nikos, and that's uh, like kind of groundbreaking in like what they've been open a year, two years, and they seem already seem like a uh, a Melbourne like establishment already. Good people, so you know, Leo is like incredible, like the most friendliest person ever. They were actually the first ever guests on this podcast. Mm. So you're in good company. I'm in team. good company. Hopefully this one isn't as crazy. I think that was a that was definitely a baptism of fire. Kept I, you on your toes. I was exhausted. I actually had to take a holiday after that. I was <laughs> I was cactus, but it was a great time. I'm surprised you came back for episode two. I'd have been like, Anthony, I've had enough. I don't know what you signed me up here for. You stitched me up. We're absolutely wrapped to, to be back in the studio and it's, it's great to talk to you, Tim. Um, I guess we want to really knuckle down into your work with 2-5 footwear. Uh, basically, up front, you hand make shoes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I um, make shoes by my hands, with my hands. Where did that all begin? Has it always been shoes or did you kind of have interest in other areas and, and making things that weren't shoes to start with or has it just been shoes from, from day one? Uh Kind of shoes from day one. I was thinking about this the other day. I always was very creative and was always had like a idea of how to make money from my creativity. Like I remember when I was like 14, I like imported a load of like blank tracker hats from America because you couldn't get them at the time. And then I remember there was like a, shows you how things go around. But like you used to do like graffiti on the tracker hats, just like someone's name, do it on the hat sell them for like 10 15 pound and then just kind of like did that and then i got into like oh fashion maybe like customizing some clothes and then i was about 15 16 so then i was um studying art and design at school and then college and then uni came and then i wanted to do menswear um and london college of fashion had this kind of like inner city uh initiative for like schools from inner city to apply for a higher education. Uh, so I went along to see the men's course and it was very like traditional tailoring. And I was like, ah, that's not really me. And then at the end of the, of the presentation, they had like, oh, we have a new footwear course at another campus. And I was like, oh, sweet. I can make shoes. I was big into like trainers, sneakers from probably i'd say like 14 15 like i grew up listening to like hip-hop and grime and stuff and it's very much like a, a cultural presence in that kind of music and and the dress uh 
And so I'd always been into trainers and sneakers. And when I heard I could do footwear, I was like, oh, see, I can make my own trainers. Um, and that was kind of where the journey into learning about design and making came. Your shoes or the shoes that you make have changed a lot from the start, hey? Yeah, 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 completely. So more of that sneaker focus to begin with. To It's actually, I was looking at your shoes just in preparation for this podcast and trying to think of creative ways to to describe them, but they're kind of casual meets formal meets comfort meets style. It's very much to me a bit of kind of everything, but I wanted to ask your ask for your yeah, description yeah, of yeah, what yeah. you make and the shoes that you make. How would you how would you describe a pair of two five shoes? I I think you ne- you nailed it. Um all of what you said really. They're very unique. And I think it was kind of like just inspirations growing up and kind of maturing into myself and my aesthetic and the styles that I like. And I had previously before I did two five, I had like a little sneaker brand called Wise Footwear, but that was I wasn't making them. I was getting them manufactured in Portugal, but that was leaning more on the sneaker side, less shoe. Uh, and then now I kind of developed more of a taste for being older, being in my thirties now, kind of like, what would I wear now? What would I want to wear now? And trainers weren't exciting me like I felt like they were oversaturated they weren't hitting the need so it was kind of like taking all the inspiration and design elements that I really loved growing up and what you know was like ah oh, I love seeing stuff that excites me do you know what I mean I like to see stuff you oh that's so cool oh wow that I wouldn't have put that color with that color but that works really well and kind of making an, a mental catalog and a library in my brain and I think with this one with this brand with 2.5, it was kind of like working that all. Yeah, how would you get uh, kind of like a stylish but comfortable sneakery elements, but not sneakerish, but the design principle of like the colorways and the materials and the different textures and how do you kind of make it into a shoe, but reinventing a shoe from, I think the shoe got bad press when sneakers took off. In the past 10, 15 years, and we're like, oh, shoes, school shoes. That's the only time you buy shoes is for school or a f- wedding or a funeral. And you're begrudged to buy them because you're like, oh, I want the- I'm never going to wear these again, apart from this one occasion. But it's kind of like, how do you re-bring something that's so integral and bring it back to life? And I think growing up listening to like hip hop and grime and stuff and being very consumed in that and seeing shoes as a cultural element like everywhere around me shoes were a cultural statement like you could have the, your white van man and it's like all white Reebok classics or Reebok workouts and that is very like that's the shoe that is for that tribe or you can go to like Air Force Ones which is very big in like hip-hop and grime or like a very London Air Max 90 and that's very integral to that tribe and that community and that's what they you know brings them joy and it was kind of like how do you bring those cultural elements to the shoe as well. And I kind of tried to do that with the six stitch and what we're doing at the moment. Tell me where do you think in terms of, you mentioned those tribes, the the Nike Air Force One and their particular uh, appeal to a particular community, maybe like Timberlands and like early 90s yeah. New York, East Coast rap scene, like that, that kind of thing. Where do you see two fives fitting in in terms of like, do you, do you see it meeting various community interests and needs? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's what I'm kind of been working on because I really want to do it organically and I really want it to be the shoe is for 
everyone and that's kind of the cool thing that it's very customizable um and to see like the organic growth which i think is really cool and see who latches onto it and how they make it part of their community and how they live around the shoe and i think the juxtapositions of different worlds with the same shoes really cool like clark's are really big in jamaica i don't know like not a lot of people know about that but like clark's in jamaica is like the biggest shoe brand ever and like wallabies and desert boots are like like gold dust uh, and their style in such a unique cool way but then you can look at like um mods used to wear like desert boots in their suits while they rode their mopeds and they're like you couldn't think of two different kind of styles they the shoe goes with both of them and both that that tribe you know take me through the experience of actually ordering a pair of two fives because this is an interesting thing you did touch on it it is a very customized experience you know you have your Models? How many models do you have? At the moment, we had two, but I cut back just to one to kind of refine that and then work on that. We had a, I had some issues with supply chain and stuff, so it was kind of like let's build one that I'm really proud of and like we can push really well. And then once we've done that, then we can move on to the next one. So I'm buying a, a pair of shoes. I log on to to two five. Check it out via Instagram. Gee, I love that. What's what's the actual interaction like if I'm I'm buying a pair of shoes from you? Because from from what you've told me in off air, it's kind of it's not your everyday shoe purchase. Oh no. It's very it's a very much more personal kind of interaction. Um you can buy some I make sample colorways and stuff that you can see on the website, but everything you can change or decide from the kind of materials I have and that we stock. Um and then we can we go back and forth and kind of send through leathers, uh, send through different like swatches of materials, and then people kind of pinpoint what they like, and then we build the shoe around what they kind of like and what they're vibing. Um, and then that this is with shoes, it's quite tricky because people like to try them on. So we're fortunate enough to have a, a great market in Collingwood at Stay Soft Markets on the where people can come and try them on once a month there. So it's a very much kind of stripping back consumerism to kind of its bare bones uh, and people can have more of a feel and bring their bring their style and their vision to life as well, as well as being our own as 2.5 product. We were lucky enough to have a little glimpse into the way that you do things in terms of making and manufacturing shoes. Um, in your workspace at, at your house yeah, yeah. Um, because you were part of the uh, recent release, uh, the photo shoot for our sports latest release of, of hoodies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can you just describe to me the the rough basic process without necessarily going into too much detail um, if there are some industry secrets <laughs> in there? But in terms of the actual exercise of making a pair of shoes from order to uh, pick up or to drop off or send whatever it is to the end product what does that look like how many days are we talking about are we talking weeks days uh it's a from start to finish it's probably about two to three days um everything is done by myself and from scratch so from the lever to cutting the pattern to cutting out the lever to hand sewing to hand lasting to soling so it's quite a time consuming process and that's kind of the next challenge 
is to streamline a bit more and to kind of navigate how we can um, streamline quicker but keep the kind of same principle of the customizable uh, element. Uh, and yeah, it's just all done in my workshop from my home. And yeah, so yeah, I'd say three days and then we ship them out and then let the customer know and try and make it uh, as streamlined and open as possible. It's really, it's very, sometimes it gets a bit overwhelming because people are so used to like now, now, now. Mm. And I'm very used to now, now, now. You can go online, you order something, it's next a couple of days. So it's just kind of being like transparent, like, ah, oh, it, it might take two to three days to make, but I might have seven orders piling up. Do you know what I mean? So the timeline can be anything from two to maybe six weeks wait. So That's such a point of difference though. It, it, it signals to me as a, a consumer that it's actually I'm buying something a little bit different, a little, something a little bit um, more premium, something that I can own for a long time, something yeah. that is well-made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think like now, I think there's been a resurgence of that. And you see that, especially in Melbourne. And and um, from COVID, I think that was one of the good things that came from COVID. Anthony, you know, as well, as being a small business owner and yourself that like, people really knew the value of where their money was going and you know community economics of if i'm spending my money in my local community it's going to stay in my local community and things can thrive um that really i think covid really saw people saw face to the brand not just the name so they're like oh if i don't go to my coffee shop he won't be able to pay his rent so i can't get coffee from my local coffee shop i'm gonna have to go to the next suburb you know that kind of thing and it kind of trickled down to fashion and kind of everything so i think that was a really help not helpful but i think it was an eye-opener the COVID wasn't helpful for no one but um it was definitely an eye-opener for for everyone to slow down and, and think about how things are made and and things are consumed and how we're living and is it the best way we're living you mentioned a, a couple of supply chain issues that have forced you to kind of maybe pare back the designs you're doing and to, to really concentrate on getting uh, one particular model super, super right. Yeah. What were those supply chain issues? And is it an ongoing thing or is it sort of slowly starting to get better? Slowly starting to get better. Um, I couldn't really get the soles. I use a, like a, a Vibram sole, which is made in Italy uh, and they're very hard to get in Australia the supply chain there's like one guy that has the distribution rights for them um which now i know him which is chill but he only gets shipment maybe every six months used to be every three months because of covid and the shipping has doubled or tripled in price that so is shortened so if the stock comes and it goes you have to wait a couple of months before you get small stock and then that's like being a small business so it's like oh, how does my cash flow work i can't afford to buy 50 souls to have so i have to buy maybe 10 at a time and then by the time you go through those you need to order some more and be like oh, i've only got five left that kind of stuff you know you're weighing up they're not necessarily gambles but they're like educated risks really yeah, based yeah, on yeah. quantities and yeah, and yeah, yeah. you know order order numbers some things are really impossible to know i guess yeah, yeah 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 and the more you do the more you learn and the more you understand okay cool i need to stockpile on this i need to i can that i don't need to worry so much about my box is not too bad. I get them made in Thomastown. I can eat. They're always good or stuff. You know, leathers is quite hard because I might get a leather that's really popular, but some of them are imported from like Italy and Spain and stuff, and they might only get four or five skins. 
and I'll get two skins, go back next week, the other three skins are gone, and then they're like, oh, we really like that green. You're like, can't get it anymore. So it's that stuff's it's it's there, it happens. So it just makes you um navigate more, kinda dig a bit deeper, work out what's what other avenues there are. And I think it makes you just be more creative with how you do business and how you work. Were you kind of forced to improvise at all in oh. terms of like, oh, you can't get this blue, you can get that blue, you can't get that green. Or it's like, we're just going to have to actually work out something that suits you just as much, um, but it can't be that. Yeah, so pretty much that. And then, yeah, or, or just like cutting back on certain colors and just like we're out of stock. And then found that there's like a, a tannery that I found that's not too far from Geelong. So that's, that makes it a lot easier with certain things. I think it's part of the past and it brings kind of not that you want to be exclusive, but like it makes people realize that sometimes there is an urgency to purchase certain things, knowing that they're going to be limited, especially with the levers and to let people know. It's not that I don't want people to have this, but it's not like a marketing scheme, No, but it kind of adds to a marketing thing that be like, oh, if you like that, there's only enough to make two shoes out of that. So if you want that, You'll have to order sooner, otherwise you won't be able to kill it. So it's that element. So it's kind of good and bad. There's pros and cons to it. It's interesting. It's like, you know, those sort of like fish of the day situation. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh, we've got this really great catchment. Um, it's this particular fish. Uh, I'm sorry, I can't offer you the salmon today, but yeah, I do have I this do like have really this. Yeah, good yeah, other yeah. stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Very much so. Hey, Tim, can you take me through your knowledge of the shoemaking scene in Melbourne and does that play any role in what you do? Are the, what other shoemakers are doing or like, do you have relationships with them or is it sort of like a fairly, do you operate fairly independently in terms of um, the the scene? Is there a community of shoemakers? There is. I, I'm very kind of independently away from it. Not on purpose, just the thing with shoemaking. Tell us. Is is that I think with a lot of old crafts, they were passed down in a very negative way, negative light. Like shoemaking is, a, especially artisan like crafts that are very like skill based. They're very much like my way is the right way. Anyone else's way is wrong kind of thing, you know? And yeah. you're, so you're taught, especially traditional shoemaking, you're taught in a way that is, this is how the Italians make it. So this is the way. And you're kind of like, oh, okay, cool. So no one really gives away their trade secrets. So it makes it quite hush-hush. And that so you feel a bit insecure or self-conscious about the way you may particularly do the way you do. And you don't want other people to know. And other people might vice versa. Like there's a, a brand near where you work and they don't let anyone in the, the work. Well, the rumor has it they don't let anyone in the workshop. So you, you can't go and see the manufacturing process whatsoever. Correct. which is wild to me because I would be like, oh, yeah, come in. This is how it like what's someone going to take from that? I don't understand how hiding that off. It's just going to um, stop your business. You can't grow without sharing and exploring and building new communities and new 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 people to see your work. Um, and I felt that had been passed down in footwear. And I think now it's opening up and a lot of people are more like, oh, yeah, I do this. I'm very open with my knowledge to people. If they ever ask me, oh, yeah, I'd tell people, oh, that's what you want to do this. Oh, that's not sticking. You want to get this primer for that. Oh, that's not working. Did you rough the edge first? And they'll be like, oh, no. Like, oh, if you rough the edge, that little tips and tricks. Because if that was someone to me, I'd be like, oh, 
just saved me. Like I tried to do this so many times and now I've got it. And that knowledge, I think now with the internet, people are a lot more willing to share and be open. And I th- I might not be in the footwear scene in Melbourne, but the community uh, of creatives in Melbourne, I think is very open. There's a lot of people here to like open doors and help people out and like just ask. Just, I think that's the greatest thing. I used to growing up, and especially at uni, I went to uni really young. I went from when I was 18 to 21 straight away. I was just too embarrassed or too shy to ask a question. So I just didn't ask. So I didn't learn. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, now I'm older um, and I have a bit more about myself that I'm more willing to be like, oh, how does that work? Instead of being embarrassed that you don't know, um, like just ask the question and someone would, what's the worst that's going to happen? Tell you the answer. Like, I don't understand why I was so scared and why you're, when you're younger and a bit more overwhelmed, seeing the world for the first time or being in situations you wouldn't normally be in, to be intimidated by other people, where it's just like, rah, the only way to grow is to ask. What is 2-5? Where does the name come from? 2-5 uh, is just a, a shoe brand made by hand here in Melbourne. Originally, I'm from South London, so 2-5 is my postcode I grew up in which is SE25, and then we just took the 25 and then flicked it to 2.5. Um, also, two feet, five toes, uh, those two things. But yeah, originally it was to pay homage to kind of like from there to the new life in Melbourne and kind of like bring it all together. I love that. It's a little bit of a taste of home. A, a taste of home, yeah. In terms of a taste of home, what kind of an influence does your hometown uh, in the south of London have on the shoes that you create? Uh, I think a bit of what's the word? Well, the word I would use, it's not really an Australian word, but like a, a UK slang word would be steez. Like they're very, it brings the steez. It brings, you know, a bit of razzmatazz to it you know it brings a bit of swag to the shoe and kind of the style of it and i definitely would say that's from the experiences and and the people you see and around and interact with and a whole kind of attitude of a of a south londoner what are the shoes that you have in constant rotation on your own personal shoe rack at home oh that's a great question obviously it's not all two five oh, stuff it'd take you a month of sundays that is a great question you're busy making shoes for other people. You can't stock your own shoe rack. I know. It's mad, that, isn't it? People got more shoes than I do with my own. Um, Birkenstocks to slide on. Easy, comfy. I'm going to say New ba- love New Balance. And I've turned into a true Melbourneian and I've got myself some Asics. So there Is we go. Is that a Melbourne thing? That's definitely I'm fully. I'd say Salomon's more. Salomon with a pair of Asics and a little... I was going to say freight up my like, into carry bag, isn't it? Guilty as charged. <laughs> I I've got all the above. Very Melbourne. And our sport kit. It's uh, like sport jersey to top it off with. So, you know, there we go. Maybe a little 2-5 jersey. Who to know? Hey, tell me more about that. You can't just drop that in there. You've, 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 given, us the, you've given us the bait. I've taken it. What's this about a 2-5 R-Sport collab jersey? Tell me more. We might have something in the pipelines for a little World Cup special. Can I have a little bit of a a, a little tasting description? Oh, uh, it's Monica's brainchild, so I wouldn't be able to give it justice. So a, a beautiful creation Monica has conjured up in her mind and put on a jersey for us, and it looks fire. So What we can promise is that it will be everywhere when it drops. 
Oh, yeah. It'll be all over the socials. Everywhere, everywhere. Get ready for that one. Still trying to figure out how we're going to do it, but um, how are we going to shoot it and, and the look, but it's, it's there. I've got some ideas, so we'll see what happens. You mentioned a few of your favourite shoes from your own personal collection at mm-hmm. home. Do you do a lot of – do you pull inspiration from – the work of other brands to create your own or is it something you, you really are trying to step away from from what's out there already completely I, it's hard to do with Great shoes question. i think um you're always pulling from everything no matter what you do you're subconsciously pulling from everything you see i tried to um with this very much try and put my blinkers on and kind of do what i wanted to do and not it's very easy to look what other people are doing and um Kind of like, ah, oh, they're doing really well. I should do that. But like, I wouldn't wear that. And I realize I'm a selfish designer and I would only design stuff that I want to wear. So that's kind of helpful to grow and to understand my designing process and being like, ah, oh, nah, I, I'm just going to make for myself. And if people resonate with that, then that's my happy place. I'll, I've tried to design other stuff for gaps in the market or for this but i lost the passion because i it didn't bring me the joy i wanted from it tim walk me through the development of two five from where you were on day one the genesis uh first starting out to to where you are today what are some of the changes that you've made and, and some of the the challenges you've faced um i think most challenging was kind of like trying to build a brand from scratch with like I was going to say not much investment, like zero investment. So it's like very grassroots, very how do we kind of navigate building equipment and buying shoe lasts, which you make the shoe on, to sourcing equipment that doesn't exist anymore because they don't make it anymore. Uh, And kind of navigating that was particularly difficult at the start uh, just because my resource knowledge of Melbourne was very, very low. Uh, and then after a while, we started to source machinery off Gumtree and Facebook and kind of like each week, you know, put a couple hundred bucks aside for some leather and then f- navigate that way. So it was a very organic, very slow start. Uh, and that was kind of during lockdown, kind of navigating before we really knew what we were trying to do with a brand or kind of create. And then we just started very much grassrootsy, kind of like testing it out on social media and and kind of trying different markets. Some were really bad and some were good. I think like the first four markets were just, we were just at the wrong places, the wrong kind of markets. And it was very disheartening and kind of learning to kind of like weather the storm and kind of push through. That was probably the big most challenging was that first kind of initial start before we were really getting any orders in. Uh, And because it's quite hard because the price point of the shoes is quite high because they're handmade. But we didn't really have a name or a brand and a brand name behind us that held the weight for that product. So it was kind of learning how do we navigate that without having a budget for marketing to kind of push that out there. So it was very slow and very organic. And then we kind of just built up there. And then I think a lot of people had tapped in to watch us the making and seeing how we were making stuff and kind of following our Instagram. But not not a lot of people, but a couple hundred that I didn't know anyway. And then I think it was like my birthday and I was like, oh, let's just do like my birthday, let's do a birthday sale. And then me and my partner, Monica, we just went away for the day. And I was like, boom, we got like five orders. And we're like, rah, okay, cool. The people are interested. So we just 
got the orders through was like, oh, okay sick making 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 and we're like ah oh, how do we how do, what's the next step and then like someone put us on about this market at stay soft so we went to there and then engaging with people it's very different from being online and then mm. talking to people then seeing people in real life interacting with them so that was really interesting really really nice to see and and a real confidence boost and what you're doing is the kind of right thing people are interested there is a market for it and then kind of learning to develop and grow at a steady pace instead of not getting caught up and be like oh the number one question people are always like, how are you going to grow the business how where are you stocked how are you going to stock here and we're like oh let's just do it made by order let's stay true to ourselves and like having uh, a good friend of mine was just when I, I spoke to him and he was like people you what you do is different and that's why people resonate with it and so you just need to keep doing what you're doing and it will eventually grow and then happen otherwise you can just go to any other shoe shop or shoe brand and then that's that but what you do is different and you need to believe in your kind of unique perspective on it so what you've just described really is starting from scratch yeah, like yeah, yeah, day yeah, one yeah, yeah, yeah. there's there's nothing in place in terms of oh, like you I didn't know anything no no i had started like a footwear well, i'll say so i'll start like a menswear kind of casual shoe brand when i was like 24 but that was like had a factory in Portugal I was someone told me about and I just got like 50 pairs of sneakers made and then I was just like selling them out of my bedroom to friends and stuff and then whatever money I made I sold a pair of shoes and I'll just go to the pub and have a good time that weekend with the money you know no real business increment of like oh you need to have a business account and put that aside and you know cash flow and working and reinvesting and this one is very much like Everything is reinvested. Everything we sell, we reinvest. And I'm very grateful enough to have my partner, Monica, who helps with a lot of this. We really worked out our strengths and weaknesses. And she's very good at admin and emails and, and that kind of side and more structure. And I'm dyslexic, quite heavily dyslexic. So I tend to say more visual and kind of the making aspect because not it's under me and grammar didn't get along at school so my punctuation isn't the finest you've kind of just described the perfect teammate <laughs> it sounds like uh your your strengths are, are kind of uh, really come to the fore and you can worry about you know you don't really need to worry too much about perceived weaknesses or, yeah, or things yeah, that you're not yeah, as yeah. good at because mon really picks up the the slack yeah, there it's so helpful to have someone that can be like oh can you help me with this or you can do that and I know a lot of people sometimes being a creative you it's very hard to let people in because it's you feel very passionate about it and very shy or insecure to show people or hear opinion about your art it's your art even in the, if it's design or apparel or footwear it's still your creation and some people find it very difficult to hear feedback on what they're making or have an input because it is their creative output so it was really nice when I can lean them on and kind of open myself up to collaboration and what collaboration can it and create. And I feel being a like a independent sold brand and being a sold trader, like the probably, and I think Anthony would say this as well. One of the most beneficial things is collaboration and learning how to collaborate and learning how to take an idea and lean on someone and see how they help can help you elevate it to the next level and like just keep growing and like taking that energy and moving forward. And I feel like Melbourne is a real hot pot at the moment of like really cool stuff going on. And a lot of people, if you reach out, be like, yeah, that's cool. I can use that for this shoot or I really like that. 
oh, we might have this happening. Would you be interested? And I think everyone's now building after COVID like a lot more of um, an organic, natural kind of creative ecosystem. And I feel like when I first moved to Melbourne as an outsider, I think I had like um, like a real benefit being from like a third eye perspective on like, because it is a clicky city and it comes across, I don't know, I don't want to offend people, but it's a very pretentious city compared to other places I've been, especially around the world. Melbourne is very, it's a very privileged environment. And, and certain ways of doing things is a lot more for show than reality. So it's kind of navigating that. And I think growing up in South London, I'm a bit more bull in a china shop with some stuff sometimes, which I think is the best way because it kind of knocks all the airy fairy stuff out of the way, which can help just navigate straight to the, the, the core. I think it's interesting that you touched on the the fact that there's a lot of interesting stuff happening in Melbourne at the moment. And I remember there were conversations during the COVID-19 lockdowns about manufacturing in Australia. And it's so interesting to me because what I've seen, this is just a personal observation, I might be completely off the mark, but instead of it being the big businesses and like, you know, remember there was the, the all the fear about running out of toilet paper. That's actually, mm. a lot of that's manufactured in Australia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you went into like a Kmart or a big retailer and the, 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 the shelves were bare. Yeah. And people were saying, oh, we should we should um, bring back ma- more manufacturing on this large scale to, to Australia, which I, I definitely agree with to a point where it's still realistic, definitely. But what I have noticed is instead of it necessarily being that macro scale manufacturing that's sort of come back to Australia, it probably has to an extent, but a lot of focus has gone on to locally made, locally manufactured stuff. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of those businesses weren't necessarily in existence pre-COVID. I think a, a little bit of that is going back to the grassroots and going back to the small businesses in the immediate area around us. You know, people say the high street's dead or you, in the, the high street in my suburb is is, is dying. Yeah. But so many of these businesses that are now making stuff on and making stuff in Australia are online. Yeah, and so yeah. you don't rely on the bricks and mortar. Yeah. But it, it's it's interesting. It's a great interesting point. You say that they're like the shops are dying. And we recently tried to find a shop space and there's so many empty spaces, but, and you could give them to so many young creatives at a fraction of price and they'll do incredible stuff. And then you have the real estate guys that would rather try and charge a fortune for it and let it sit empty for a year than have people using it to make something positive for the community and the environment they're in. It blows my mind. That there's, they're not willing to compromise even slightly on on rental prices. That, that baffles me. I know there are certain um, programs in Melbourne uh, that are basically fostering artists in Dockland specifically. Yeah, they're yeah. trying to like reinvigorate the Docklands area yeah. um, by offering free or subsidised studio spaces. I think that's got to be that's got to be citywide. Oh, yeah, one hundred. And not only artists, but young creatives and people who are self-reliant sole traders uh who would really love a space but might might face a financial obstacle yeah i think 100 and and also i think because the mindset of the shops or your local high street the real estate aspect hasn't changed but the way we buy has changed so the the use for a shop has changed from what the traditional high street would be 
because supermarkets are now so prevalent, you wouldn't have five shops that would, because now you just have one supermarket. So that's five yeah. empty shops. You won't have your butchers, your fishmongers, all of those things because they're now in the supermarket. So, and so how do you get those shops filled? Well, now you can use art, like so many cool furniture makers in Melbourne, like so many cool furniture makers. But where are they, where are their stuff being stocked? Well, they, like, they can pay for their workshop to make this stuff, but they're not going to pay 40 grand a year for a shop front no that's sitting empty. And it's these initiatives that need to be pushed forward. They need to rethink how brick and mortar kind of shop establish, shopping establishments can f- benefit the broader community, not just one landlord that owns a property that's trying to get a ton of money for nothing, but how can you rebuild the high street? How can you rebuild the local infrastructure for new, younger, talented artists or creatives or makers or whoever it is to to get their foot in the door i just see that as being not only a benefit for those artists those creatives on an individual level i just see that as being so good for local communities there is so much in in australia in our major cities there are so many vacant shops Mm. just fill them with something yeah and something productive and interesting and different and that was the one thing coming from London over here. You guys, like Australia is so far away. You're literally detached. The one country that's pretty much detached from the world. Like just you need to be able to use what you have here and create something great because there's no point importing it from everywhere else when you have the good stuff here. Like you have the brains and the knowledge and the the creatives. Like it blew my mind when I can, especially when I come to Melbourne, how an awesome music scene Melbourne has. Melbourne has one of the most unique, cool music scenes that doesn't leave the borders of Victoria. Doesn't even make it to Sydney. Doesn't make it to Queensland. Literally, this music hub, which is pocketed in like the borders of Victoria, which blows my mind. It doesn't even so it doesn't even go overseas. And it's like, how do you cultivate such a, like incredible music? But it doesn't make it anywhere else. It doesn't have to because if you come here, you'll be blown away because you'll be like, this is so cool. So how do you do that with the rest of the creative industry? Give them a space. So when people come like, bro, you know, all these shops are all local designers that make their own stuff. How sick would that be? Like you go to Japan and you're like, this guy makes his own knives. And you're like, I want a knife now. How do, I, how do I get this one guy that makes these knives to make a knife? Go to Japan and there's like all these cool things. But it's like, and it's an immersive experience that just like blows your mind. How can you do that in Melbourne? Like, how can you create that in Melbourne? You know, I'd love to see it happen. Yeah. I would love to I see it happen. No, no, I love it. I'm here for it. I'm here for it. Hey, um, Tim, I want to touch on something you did touch on, and you were looking for a a bricks and mortar shop front slash pop up. Is is that something that we can expect to see? I don't maybe. Know, Mark. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. That would be. Like an ideal, especially with footwear, people need to like try on the shoes and really understand the fit for their feet. And, and the materials and levers we use are so tactile that it's much nicer to get the feel and really understand. So, yeah, hopefully in the future that we, we can hopefully make that a reality. And I don't know what it's like for you, but I remember one of my first interactions with you. We might have you might have filled in and played for R Sport FC at Futsal maybe once. We we mm. touched base. We like sort of met each other and maybe had a quick chat where you're from, what are you about? And I didn't quite, we didn't, we got rushed onto the field or something and I didn't quite yeah. get to what you did for a living. I remember 
um, somebody told me uh, after we parted ways, I sent a text to someone and somebody told me what you did. And I was like, oh, gee, that, that's actually really cool. The next week I found myself at Stace Off Market. It was the second time I've ever met you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you had a stall. There's other stalls doing bits and pieces and different things, a lot of locally made, you know, foods, drinks, little op shop setups, vintage wear, and there's two five footwear. And I remember looking over at you and saying, oh, yeah, all right, Tim, yeah, going all right. Um, and I just thought you were so brave. I thought that is, I couldn't do that. Do you? I, yeah, I, you know what it is? It's when people come to Frames Ready Made, yeah. they come there, or when people come to, it doesn't even have to be Frames Ready Made. When people go to a bricks and mortar shop that is, what it is you go there yeah, to go yeah, to two yeah. five you go there to go to frames ready made you go there to go to yeah. bunnings like whatever it is you, they know what they're there for yeah in a market space and this is probably what you navigate a yeah, little bit yeah, every week yeah. that you have a market there's people there that don't really know what they're there for that oh we're gonna have a look around it's like i don't really want to be locked in with one particular store like whatever it might be yeah. and i just remember thinking that is that is very brave and yeah. very courageous I think maybe the popper, a, a pop-up or a, a bricks and mortar of some sort, it'll just, I reckon it, it'll. Yeah, because yeah, people are coming for you then. They're yeah. not coming for the other 25 stools. And it could be a learning experience. I mean, yeah, 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 for sure. People will ask you different questions mm. and people will maybe ask you just like different different things you hadn't considered. It could yeah, be like yeah. a part of the. Yeah, so that is exciting. Yeah, exciting to find out, exciting to learn. Yeah, grow and just learn more and kind of listen to it. That's a great film. We're so grassroots with it and we, we talk to everyone. We make the shoes to kind of like understand what they want from the shoe as well. And to, so that would be really nice to grow and develop. And the kind of consumer kind of leans us into the path that we're heading, you know. So it would be really nice to see how that interaction happens when it becomes like a physical space watch this space i think i think that sounds an awful lot to me like we need to be keeping a very keen eye on the 25 instagram page maybe maybe soon is there anything else that really sticks out as something you're looking forward to in the near future for for 25 oh great question um kind of looking forward to i need to just the back end of the business kind of machinery wise and stuff to We've had uh, a few stores in Japan reach out about being stocked, so kind of kind of navigating more wholesale stockists with certain boutiques, uh, and Japan seems to be vibing a lot with us, so that's that's real cool. Would scaling up manufacturing be a challenging thing in terms of stocking yeah, somewhere? Yeah, yeah, and no, it's kind of more. Yeah, it's more how to turn it instead of the mindset of making one shoe, how you do it in more of a, what's the word I'm trying to use? Well, without watering down your processes and, and compromising your standards, it, exactly. it, it's very challenging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know yourself. So um, navigating that and kind of when I was seeing from how you do things, um, it's been real helpful how to do the ready-made and the custom and kind of how you do stuff in a process that kind of, keeps the same ethos and and product detail and kind of the quality there it's just critical it's yeah. so critical hey i i've got every confidence you can the 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 knowledge you have from your you know your studies from from actually running the business it, that information that time and the the learning that happens over just basically the natural progression of time 
We'll serve you well. I can't see it going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the national, the, the national, the natural progression of life is so interesting. You just have to embrace it as well because it's taken a long time. This hasn't been a long time, but the journey from football. I think I studied at London College of Fashion in 2007. I started the course. I graduated in 2010, 2011. It's like, what, were we in 2022? So it's like 11 years ago since I graduated. So it's just kind of like, just respect the process, you know what I mean? Respect the time and and everything happens for a reason. Just have your faith in that. Because before when I was doing other stuff, it didn't work out. And you say, like, oh man, that sucks, man. And then you see someone else launch something and it like pops off like that. And you're like, oh. and I think so much of our time these days is watching others on Instagram. You're like, or like, I don't watch their path, watch your path. There is a large amount of tyranny in comparison. The tyranny of comparison is a, an awful thing and it's it's something we need to hopefully recognize in ourselves um, as it's happening yeah, as yeah, opposed yeah, to maybe yeah. down the track when it's had For horrible sure. impacts. Like it's it's so easy to say that and to, to actually recognize when that's happening is so hard. Mm. Tim, where can we find 2-5 Footwear? Where can we find out more information and, and check out the shoes you've got to offer? Uh, you can check us out on Instagram, like 25.footwear, spell out, not the numbers. And then our website, which is 25footwear dot au i believe but the website is getting rebuilt at the moment so the website is a bit meh at the moment but um next month it will be pretty hectic with like a 3d generator like nike id vibe going on so that'll be that'd be real cool tim Glegg, two five footwear the man the myth the legend thanks so much for coming in to to chat to our conversations and tell us about your process and and how you go about making shoes really looking forward to owning a pair myself in the near future. I've got to MC my brother's wedding and I don't know if there's a shoe I'd rather do it in. Hey, thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you, Kit. It's a pleasure as always and I'll see you on a pitch soon. Stay up to date with everything our conversations via our social media platforms at our sport double underscore on the gram or via the website www.r-sportswear.com.